I want to introduce, uh, you can go ahead and take a seat. I want to introduce Holly Haas, who's going to introduce our guest speaker today. Um, boy, the Lord's just been, it's been a great week. Um, we had a board of advisors meeting this week, and they were just so encouraging, and they were so encouraged about what God's doing here in Antioch Raleigh. Uh, and I, I just uh, am so privileged to have our guest speaker. But Holly, why don't you, uh, are you going to do the introduction? Or do you want me to? Okay, why don't, why don't yeah, Ho Holly, why don't you come up here? Holly is our missions pastor, and today we have a real treat. But I want you to introduce him. Okay, thanks, Steve. <laughs> so this morning or this weekend, we are hearing from Trey Green. He's come all the way from Texas to share with us this morning, this weekend. So we are excited. Trey, come on up here. Uh, he has spent a number of years overseas, and he will share more. And I know that we're going to hear God moving and stirring in our hearts this morning. And I want to challenge you, however you take notes, to remember whatever God is stirring in your heart so that you act on it once you walk out these doors. Amen. Okay? It's not beneficial to listen and then not act on it later. So those of us that have ears to hear, let us hear what the Lord is sharing in our hearts and then the action steps he's asking us to take as we go. Yeah. Trey, it's all yours. Amen. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, partner. Hi, everybody. It is awesome to be here. And one of the privileges of my job is I get to travel around to different Antioch churches around the country, uh, speak and encourage. And uh, so this is, I believe, my ninth Antioch church in the last six weeks that I've been in. Uh, and here's the great thing. It doesn't matter. I've been in churches from Los Angeles to Raleigh and everywhere in between. And the cultures are slightly different, but the spirit is always the same. And it is just so wonderful to be a part of something that God is breathing on, an extended family through which he is working, and it's just a privilege to be with you. I'm so glad to have the chance to be here. As I was praying for you guys this morning, no, I don't usually use my phone in the middle of a sermon, but I didn't have a pen in my hotel room, so if I wanted to record what the Lord was speaking to me, I had to do it on my notes. So... I was praying for you guys this morning. I said, Lord, do you have a today word? Do you have something for Antioch Raleigh today? Did you know that there are fires that can burn underground for a very long time and then spontaneously pop up to the surface? It is not uncommon after a forest fire hits for there to be small fires that can stay under the ground sometimes for years, barely fed by oxygen, through small pores in the dirt, but just enough to stay alive. And then one day they erupt. I felt like the Lord says that that is what's happening in this church. Amen. That there have been faithful men and women who have stewarded the fire in the secret place as they awaited for something to erupt. And the Lord is doing something in this season that is going to cause the coming together of the stewarded fire in many individuals' lives into something powerful that's going to impact not only this church, but the people around this church, this city, state, and the nation, and the nations of the earth. 
Way to go. Do you know how good that is? It is so encouraging that God has been aware of what's going on in your own private secret place. That what you have stewarded and thought no one noticed, God has been, been gathering together as kindling for an incredible fire that he longs to unleash, not only in this church, but in each of your individual lives. I was so encouraged this morning. Amen. Okay, it's okay to give feedback. It's just so good. It's so good. Okay. All right. Before we move forward, I just want us to do an exercise that the Lord has asked me to do in any place uh, where I speak. I want us to just take a second and make a choice of our will to align our hearts and emotions and our mind and our thoughts with the reality that God's manifest presence is here. So Lord, right now we just, by the choice of our will, we say, Lord, our hearts, we align with you and our emotions. And our mind and our thoughts, we align with you and the fact that your manifest presence is here. We give you permission to reveal things to us today. And we ask that our hearts would be soft to what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever stopped and been in awe of how multifaceted Jesus is? The one who sticks closer than a brother is the same one who rules the nations with an iron scepter. And the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is also the Lion of Judah who leads his people into battle. And the one who has promised to always be with us is the one who measures the seas in the palm of his hand. He is amazing. His ability to be so immense and so relatable. I'm falling in love with him more in these days as I consider how incredible he is. And I hope that you are as well. In Isaiah 6, we have the commissioning of Isaiah. And this is, you know, he gets on his knees. Who will I send? Here am I, send me. Are you familiar with this passage? Well, there's something happening in the background. While this whole scene is playing out, there are some seraphim, which are angels who are singing the same thing over and over and over. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I have a question for you coming out of 2020. Does what is being sung in heaven feel like what you experienced in 2020? When you looked at 2020, did you think, wow, this just feels like a year of glory? I don't know about you, but 2020 was challenging for me, and I'm assuming it was challenging for you as well. But here's the thing, there is nothing in the scripture to indicate that that same song isn't still being sung 
to this day, which tells us something, and it's something that's really important, and that is there is another kingdom. There is another kingdom that is far more real than this one, that doesn't depend on our senses to be real, but is real because God says it's real. And we often cry out, we want to behold your glory, but can I tell you, if we want to behold his glory, his glory is made manifest in his kingdom where he is king. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So here we have Paul informing us of something that's actually really important to us as believers. Right now, the most true representation of yourself is in the heavenlies. You are seated at the right hand of God and you are hidden in Jesus. This is a powerful truth. Because Paul is calling us to behold something different than the status quo. He's asking us, to set our hearts, our affections, our dreams, as well as our minds, our thoughts, and our beliefs in another kingdom that isn't the one that we see around us every day. If we want to behold him in his fullness, it will be in this kingdom where he is unquestioned king. So we have to set our sights on another kingdom. Secondly, we have to recognize that this race that we have been called to run was born in another kingdom as well. And it's under his lordship. Today I'm going to tell you a little bit of my own story. Uh, And we're going to talk about two distinct parts. We're going to talk about how Jesus met me powerfully and healed me, and then talk about how he commissioned me, and how the role of Jesus as Lord, and beginning to understand that true obedience happens through an overflow of the kingdom of God and not an understanding of this kingdom, plays out. You know, Jesus doesn't just heal you so you can be healthy. Did you know that? Why does he heal you? Oh, and just so you know, I don't ask rhetorical questions, so this is, you can answer me here. It actually is good. Why does he heal us? Oh, y'all are so good at that. There were so many answers, and most of them were right, I'm sure. (laughs) There are many reasons But you know what I believe is that at the depths of his heart, he heals us to commission us into his purposes. 
He heals us so that we can go on adventure and journey with him to see his kingdom made manifest on this earth, to see his bride made complete and to hasten his return so that we can be with him forever. So understand when you're calling out to be made whole, he's like, yes, but that is step one on an incredible journey that doesn't end with wholeness. Amen? I want to share with you a little revelation that I got last year, and it's, it's just, it just, it's wrecking me a little bit, which is wonderful. Last year, right before COVID hit, I had the pleasure of being in Boston at our church there, speaking at their world mandate. Are you guys familiar with what world mandate is? World mandate is a missions conference that Antioch puts on every year. It has been historically housed in Waco, but over the years, as we've gotten more and more churches, people have started putting on their own world mandates for the purpose of encouraging, inspiring, and mobilizing people into the nations long term. And I got there, and I had my message all ready to go, and I was the third speaker out of three, and so I listened on Friday night, incredible message, Saturday morning, incredible message. It's about two hours before I'm ready to go on stage, and the Lord said, scrap your notes, I got something different. Now, I'm actually pretty good on the fly, so it didn't totally freak me out, but I felt the pressure. I'm like, okay, Lord. He goes, I want to teach you something. It's like, okay. And I want to share with you what he shared with me that night because it has really changed and given great depth to how I understand how he sees us and how he calls us. Psalm 139. Now, Psalm 139 is what I call the get my emotions out chapter. When I need a good cry or I just need to remember that he loves me and that he thinks about me, I go to Psalm 139 and I just sit there for a while. But I want to invite you into a piece of Psalm 139 that sometimes we don't pay attention to and bring some light to that. So we're going to start in verse 13. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I have a confession. Are you ready? That last little part, I used to skip it. And all my days were written in your book before one of them came to be. It felt so controlling, fatalistic. How could that agree with the doctrine of free will? And so, ah, it's confusing, it's hard, skip. Now, all y'all who are judging me in your heart right now, you've got your own things in the scripture that you skip when you hit them. Things that you don't like or maybe hit you a little uncomfortable or poke on that little place that you've kept hidden, so no judging. Here we have this beautiful picture of how God put us together. In Genesis 1, we see an account of creation, right? And how does God create in Genesis 1? He speaks, right? He says, let there be light, and there was light. He has the power 
through his words to make reality come into being. So the intricacies down to the atomic level and the incredible expanse of the universe, all of these things he created through his spoken word. You know those times when you're awed by nature? When you just encounter something so beautiful or intricate and it leads you to that place of appreciation of who God is and his creativity? All of those things were created by him speaking, but he made you by hand. The one that had the ability to speak you into existence instead took his time and he fashioned you with intimacy and intentionality and purpose and relationship. He took his time knitting you together in your mother's womb. And can I submit something to you about that passage I used to skip all the time? I don't skip it anymore because I think I understand it better now. And the way I see it is as he was knitting me together in my mother's womb and as he was knitting you together in your mother's womb with his left hand, with his right hand, he was writing a story that was in perfect harmony with the intimate detail of the creation that he was doing. He wasn't writing something to control you. He was writing something that would absolutely bring out the very best of every nuance that he created in you. We have to know that he loves us and that our creation was intentional and purposeful and full of life and calling. Hallelujah. Amen. It is so encouraging. I hope that hit, I hope. If you've ever wondered if you matter to God, I hope that question is answered for you. That he loved you so much that he took his time putting you together. In the summer before I entered discipleship school, and I have done the discipleship school, it wasn't called ADS when I did it, uh, it was called Master's Commission, which is old, old, old school. So I did the discipleship school, the Antioch Discipleship School in 1994. Uh, I've been around a long time. And I came into my discipleship school extremely broken. I had a background of sexual brokenness that had devastated my life and the lives of others. And I remember... The summer before I came into my D school, I was still living wildly, but God was after my heart, and I would, I would come back from a night of drinking, and I would lay on the floor and turn on worship songs and just curl up in a ball and weep. In that in-between place of living for myself and desperately desiring change, and I was calling out to the Lamb Will you be merciful to me? Will you be gracious to me? Will you help me? And then I encountered the Revelation 1, Jesus. In Revelation 1, John is experiencing a vision of heaven. 
And it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Can I tell you, I had encountered him as comforter many, many times before this day. I had known him as the lamb, the one who forgives, the one who draws near, but on this day, on this day, I encountered him as immovable holiness who would no longer tolerate my willful sinfulness. I met the lion. And I recognized that it was not okay to see Jesus as the one to salve my emotions and not as the Lord of my life. The Bible says that with his blood, he purchased men for God, which means that you had no hope and I had no hope apart from his sacrifice on the cross, which made a way for us. And so he is worthy, not just of our worship. He is worthy to be Lord of our lives. It was a powerful moment for me, and it shook me. And it began the process of a journey where there were still a few things to put back together. I can't say that I encountered him and all of a sudden everything was perfect. No, it was not. But interestingly enough, when I came to the understanding that he was Lord, he began to speak promises over my life. And until we discover and submit to the lordship of Jesus, we cannot walk in the kingdom in which he is the king. And can I tell you that calling and destiny is firmly established in that kingdom, not this one. We were made to live supernatural lives. Did you know that? Do you know that the calling and destiny over your life is impossible for you to do? Isn't that good news? And Jesus designed it just that way because he loves you so much that he wanted the fulfillment of your life to be intimately tied to your intimacy with him. So he made it impossible. He made it where only he could be the answer to the destiny over your life, and he invites you to come along. But he has to be Lord for us to be able to do that.
as beholding becomes obedience, we become instruments in bringing the kingdom to earth. So if you remember, we started with we have to recognize that we have to see another kingdom. And then we had to realize that the race, our destiny, what we are called to walk in is born in another kingdom. And our responsibility is to bring that kingdom to earth. Right? What did Jesus pray in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which means there is a will of God that exists in heaven right now that is waiting for his beloved church to partner with him and bring it into a reality on this earth. His heart is for the nations to be discipled. His heart is for the lost to find hope, for the sick to be healed, for there to be unity in the body. And he's waiting for his church and his bride to say yes to what he has already purposed and will see done. Because you see, when God speaks something, how many of you know that when he speaks something that the outcome is not in doubt? <clears throat> when he makes a promise, he isn't inviting you to a maybe process, he's inviting you into an already settled reality. He tells us in Isaiah 55 that his word doesn't return void. That when he speaks something, that it accomplishes every purpose for which that word was spoken. So when he speaks something over our life, in that moment, the fulfilled form of that promise exists in the heavenlies. And he invites us to partner with him, to learn to depend on him, to walk with him in intimacy to see that reality brought to earth so that Jesus can receive worship and glory due his name. <clears throat> for us, for me and my family, we went through a process after my training school of getting healed. I got married to the most amazing woman in the world, Leanne Green. I wish she was here because she is awesome. And in 2004, we got on a plane, and we flew to the Middle East in response to the words that the Lord had spoken over our lives. <clears throat> we arrived there holding on to this promise, that we would be a part of seeing a nationally-led reproducing church planning movement among Palestinian Arabs that would impact the Arab-speaking Middle East. Now, let me give you some context for this so you think, well, that doesn't sound so bad. <clears throat> In 1,500 years since the advent of Islam in the Middle East, there had never been a move of God among the Arab people. And that's what we were being asked to believe for. Now for clarity's sake, men and women for centuries have laid their lives down in response and obedience so that when the timing was right, the harvest would come. This is not a work of us. Please hear me. 
But that was the promise. That's what he spoke. And I remember... Our first five years were hard. Year six was awful. (laughs) Brutal awful. Nothing went right. Everything went wrong. I could tell you stories that would make you cry, but I'm not going to. Needless to say, we we weren't feeling full of hope and life all the time, but we were holding on to faith. And I remember the day where the Lord spoke to me and he said, your champion is coming. I'm like, Lord, tell me what that means. You know, if you don't understand what he says, asking clarifying questions is totally allowed. (laughs) Tell me what that means. Said that the man who will champion his people and be the leader of this movement is coming. Now, It's hard years. I can't tell you that I was super stoked. I was like, okay, whatever. You got to do it. By then, I was fully sure I could do nothing on my own. So I'm like, awesome. You bring him, and then you tell me what to do with him. And I remember meeting this man. He started telling me his story. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He had come to faith from watching television. And he had discipled himself on the internet. And he had already led 21 people to faith. And had 35 more gathered in discovery groups. And he's talking to me. And many of you won't have context for understanding this. When you are a, a worker in the field, these kind of stories are not your everyday reality. I knew of no one who had ever heard of such a thing. And so I was naturally skeptical. And I kept pushing on him and pushing on him and pushing on him, and finally I could tell he was getting frustrated with me. He was a little older, like Steve. (laughs) (laughs) And I could tell that if I pushed him any harder, I was going to break trust. And up to this point, theologically, he had proven himself to be, I mean, for a new believer, incredibly solid. So finally, he looks at me in his last fit of frustration. He goes, do you want to meet my leaders? I'm like, yes, I do. He goes, you want to come over tomorrow? And it's just like this. Yes, I do. Can I bring a friend? Sure. What time? Two. Great. See you tomorrow. Very Arab thing going on there. And I remember sitting in his house, me and Chris McBride, who is my teammate and best friend, and we have no idea what's going to happen, but you can feel the electricity in the air. And we're talking with this man, we call him Noah, and we hear the knock on the door. And I'm just like, oh Lord, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? And nothing could have prepared me for what actually happened. The door opened and in walked six veiled, covered women. And I went, oh, dear God. Let me explain something to you. My wife was not there. Their husbands weren't present. 
if any of their husbands had walked into the room and shot all of us dead, not a court in the country would have convicted them. It was a social situation that you cannot even find context for in our own culture. And I remember sitting there, I looked over at Chris, I'm like, bro, I have no idea what to do. He goes, I don't know what to do either, but we're here, let's do something. <laughs> and, and I literally, the fear of the Lord came on me so strongly, I said, God, I will not speak unless you speak. I will, not, uh, I will sit here in quiet for an hour. I'm not speaking until you speak. And he spoke one thing to me at the beginning. He said, hold up your Bible. So I held it up. He said, and I'm, I'm getting this as we go. So I, have, I may be sitting here for 20 minutes with my Bible in the air before he tells me what to say. <laughs> he says, tell them you will never give them your opinion about anything. But only what is written in this book will you hold them accountable to. So I shared that with them. Six months later, the lady who would end up being one of the main leaders in the move of God that happened came to me and said, do you realize? She asked me, do you remember when you said that to us? And I said, I do. She said, I just want you to know, in that moment, we decided that we could trust you. And if you had not said that, you would have never seen us again. And I learned something. It's actually really, really important. If you want to walk in the deeper things of God, you have to learn to live like this. You must. When I'm talking with someone, my ear is towards heaven all the time. He can interrupt me. It ha it's happened already a couple times up here. But I am trying to train myself to live according to the model that Jesus gave us. I only say what I hear my father saying, and I only do what I see my father doing. Because when you are in places where supernatural warfare is happening all around you, you want the one who can see rightly into that kingdom to be the one who's driving the bus, not you. Amen? Okay, Jesus. We got a lot of stuff here. I'm trying to decide what's the right thing. Okay. Yep. So in this same meeting, Chris and I are trying to decide what to do, and we decide we're going to do a discovery Bible study. Do y'all know what DBS is? Most of you know what DBS is. You may call it Say, Obey, Share, or whatever. Um, but basically, it's just opening the word and letting people read and letting God speak to them through his word. So we opened it up to Genesis chapter 3, and we were beginning a process of helping people understand the need for a sacrifice to cover sins, right? Because Adam and Eve sinned, and what did God do? He killed an animal. And he covered their nakedness and their shame with the, with the skin of the slain animal. It was a sacrifice to cover their sins. So that's the, what we're shooting for. But as we start talking, the Lord speaks to me and says, no, I have something for this woman out of verse 6. Ask her to read it again. I said, okay. I'm not going to say this woman's name, but read it again. And this is what verse 6 says. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. She reads it, looks at me. I'm like, what did you get? Nothing. Read it again. She kind of gives me a sideways two-year-old glance. 
and she reads it like an angry six-year-old in staccato style. And as soon as she's done, she's glaring at me. I'm like, what'd you get? Nothing. And all this is happening in high Arabic, just so you know. None of these people speak a, speak a lick of English. So this is all happening in Arabic. And I said, read it again. And she looked at me as if she might murder me if I asked her to do anything else. She reads it, and, and she's still not getting it. And, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm making her so angry. He said, ask her to read it again and ask her the question, where was Adam? So I said, read it one more time. Where was Adam? So she's, re and she, I mean, she is spitting nails angry. And all of a sudden she said, and she gave some to her husband who was, and she stopped. And she said, he was with her. He was with her. It is not all our fault. And you watched as the shame of being a woman in a Muslim culture began to fall off of her. As she unburdened herself of the responsibility of being responsible for the fall of man. And opened her heart up to the possibility of walking in the fullness of freedom. It was one of the most powerful moments I've ever had in my whole life. But I want you to recognize something, and it's the theme of everything we're talking about. It is because in that moment, I recognized that Jesus was the Lord of the moment. He was the Lord. So he was the one who was informing us. He was the one that was stewarding the hearts of these ladies. We were simply mouthpieces for him to accomplish his purposes. Can I tell you something? I've had the privilege of being present when the kingdom comes to earth. I want to clear up any misconceptions about that. When it happens, there is nothing more clear in the world than you had nothing to do with it. I can't tell you how many times I was sitting in a room where something absolutely mind-blowing was happening. And I would just say, God, why am I here? I know myself. I do not belong here. And he would just simply say, you say yes to me. You obey me. You've laid your life down and moved across the world. You gave away all your stuff for my sake. And I'm just looking for men and women whose hearts are like that. They don't have to be great leaders or great speakers or great anything. They just have to be willing and obedient. And here's the crazy thing about the goodness of God. He invites you in to obedience with him. You walk with him. He does amazing things. You get to see those things, and then he rewards you for them. It is so broken. It is so broken. Y'all, this book is so broken and unfair. And every bit of it in your favor. 
If you ever have the thought cross your mind that you have been unfairly treated by God ever, read this book and really take it in. Because that is a lie from the enemy. It is not true. The love he has poured out on you, the intentionality with which he created you, the invitation he's extending to you, everything smacks of unfairness for you. The kingdom came to the Middle East because for many years, men and women laid their lives down in obedience to what God had spoken. They acknowledged that he was Lord and they were not. It was no longer about self-actualization or making a name for yourself. It was about dying so that others could live. And it was about acknowledging that the lamb is worthy of his suffering. Uh, not of his suffering, yes. The lamb is worthy of the reward of his suffering. So here's my challenge to you. The nations are longing for believers who know him as Lord to come and introduce them to him. They're waiting for you. Will you press in and find him as Lord? And let him speak promises from his kingdom that are beyond your ability to understand and then say yes to them. We're going to move into a time of response now. Ask that prayer teams come forward. Right now there's an invitation.